welcome to the Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. What I do is I pull out random titles from a jar, and then I make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles you'd like to submit for the last stretch of the show, you can send them to me direct, directly uh, through social media or some other contact info posted somewhere. It's like saying where to find me at a website, you know, like just type in a name and you'll find it. Yeah, not too much to say at the top of the show, I guess. Uh, Other than thinking about the shooting that happened elementary school in Texas Um, I don't have too many grand statements about it besides how uh, horrible it is Uh, mainly because you know this is something that's been happening for a while and there's nothing left to be said about it other than uh, fixing the problem or set of problems uh, that led to it you know there's basically you know a mass shooting like what it feels like every week. You know, if this is something you're listening to uh, deep from the trenches of the internet, maybe 10 years in the future or whatever, you know, you might be listening to this and be like, oh, what mass shooting is he talking about? And be like, oh, the one in Texas. Oh, which mass shooting in Texas? Oh, the one at the elementary school. Oh, which elementary school? Like, it's, it's a repeated cycle. any other, you know, like I said, any other grand statements I have about it, you know, besides how horrible it is, you know, it's just a set of problems that have to be solved. Like, there's really nothing left to it, you know. You know, and anyone who's allegedly in charge of solving these problems and are not doing so, you know, just get someone else to do it, really, you know, people like that, you know, whatever politicians that are in charge of making such decisions, like, they're not going to change. They haven't in the past, like, 10, 15 years uh, or longer than, you know, like, not even the death of children will be enough to sway them, then, you know, they're useless. All right, that's the end of my little mini rant, I guess. Um, just go back to telling random stories, uh, you know, about the destruction of obsession uh, or lost loves or anything like that, um, at least for the next two months or so through this audio-based format. So let's get started. Yeah, I don't know. An assault rifle ban. Uh, restructuring of what policing is in this country. More resources for mental health. Definitely a solid set of solutions uh, that could prevent more mass shootings, but that's just me. This story is called There's Music Coming from the Trees. 
Vermont was an interesting place to grow up. best or worst place to grow up, really. Could be the best because it's quiet, secluded. And with the right family or community surrounding you, it'll be a very pleasant home that can be crafted. Irreplaceable and not something that can be manufactured. So when you do have a nice home, it's special. And you should be grateful for it every moment of it. However, once you get a little bit older and become a teenager, it gets to the point where you're just like, ah, oh, I gotta get the fuck out of here and see the world. probably 15 or 16 or so. I got a job at a co-op uh, in walking distance from my house. I remember I was talking to one of the other cash one of the other cashiers there. Who was older than me, uh, probably in her early to mid 40s. We were talking about our lives and I was talking about like, "Oh, I want to travel and everything." And she said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, put on some vacations here and there. But yeah, I remember when I got out of high school, you know, I got a job here, and then I just never left. And as I've, got, as I've gotten older, that's something, that type of, uh, something to be admired to, do the same thing for a long period of time. But certainly as a teenager, it's just like, really, that's it? And I had this pang of fear and paranoia of, oh, I don't want to be stuck in Vermont. how cool the senator is. I gotta see what's out there. And that's what I did. graduated high school uh, I got in my car that I saved up for and drove all the way down to Florida and saw the whole East Coast and then drove back up I drove across the Midwest and saw California I drove up north see the Pacific Northwest and then further up to Canada and drove all the way to Alaska 
and then I sold my car and I got a plane ticket to the UK and that started my trek of backpacking through Europe for the next couple years at least. see him. At the time, I just thought, oh, but my hopes and dreams, though. And I zoomed out a little bit of my own headspace, considering that life was just a thing not only happening to me. And I thought, no, I should go see him. I left at 18. And then I returned when I was 24. Before I heard the news about my father, I had plans to try to backpack through Mexico and South America. But then once I landed in Vermont, I renewed. Uh, a sense of childhood state of presence. Returning to a spot I've been to, I've been to uh, for so long. It reminded me of that one line from that uh, Thomas Pynchon novel, V. The main character is talking about uh, traveling and uh, traveling in proximity to where you come from people operate like a yo-yo, uh, even though they leave the point of origin, they always find their way back in some form of another or another. It was strange to be back in Vermont. A lot of it was the same, um, and also different. That's just how that goes, visiting hometowns and all that. Back in White River Junction. When I lived there, I was so used to being there as a child or as a teenager. But as, walk by, as, I had, uh, as I'd walk by mirrors and windows, street and I'd glance at myself and see that I've noticeably, noticeably changed, not just in physical appearance, but also there's a denser wisdom 
certainly easy to uh, go through some shit when you're on your own. But being able to pull through it is absolutely rewarding. talked to my uncle he was kind of vague about the uh what my dad's sickness looked like uh all he said was it's not looking too good and then i went to the house that i grew up in which was kind of falling apart through low maintenance and i saw him and i thought no it's not looking too good at all this uh, kind of situation for my dad. I sat and talked to him, and he was like, oh, how's my daughter doing? And I said, ah, oh, dude, doing good, doing good. The conversation started off as generic, and he just said, oh, it's nice to see you, you know. And I said, nice to see you, too. I haven't seen him since I graduated high school. There's so much to cap catch up on, but nothing really had to be said. It was like no time passed at all. And we'd have fleeting moments of, you know, just basic cordial conversations and moments of really uh, grand, superb intimacy. we started talking about different memories. And he said, hey, remember that one time when, uh, you know, we saw that concert on Dartmouth campus and then we saw J.D. Salinger and then I said, hey, J.D. Salinger and they just got up and left. And I laughed and I said, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He was very uncomfortable being spotted in public. You know, I think if he was if he was more okay with it, less people would point him out in public, you know? It's like him and Bigfoot, you know? Bigfoot takes the west. J.D. Salinger, you know, takes the east. And I was telling him, yeah, I had a... I met some friends out west who claimed they saw Bigfoot. It was really cool. They had a picture. Um, yeah, it was, it was cool. My dad said, oh, was it, was it blurry? And I sighed, and I said, yeah, yeah, it was pretty blurry. And then my father said, just like any photo of J.D. Salinger, 
past 1950-ish or so. dad said hey you remember remember that song we'd always hear in the woods and I said um no I don't know what song you're talking about I mean like when bands would play at the bars nearby or the block party or something yeah I remember hearing that uh, across the woods when we didn't go he said, no, 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 the song that comes through the woods, you know, it's really beautiful music, you know what I'm talking about. And I said, no, 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 Dad, I have no idea. And he said, when you were a kid, you know, maybe like, I don't know, maybe five or between four and seven, who knows. But he'd always talk about you'd hear this melody coming through the woods. out and play and then you come back and be like oh I heard her song again today it was extra pretty this time or like oh hey it was a new song this time and I can never hear it but I mean when I grew up out here I could I heard that song I know which one you were talking about but you know when I got older I could never hear it you know which one I'm talking about I honestly didn't and I told him I said dad I, I don't I don't know what song you're talking about smiled and said, well, if you listen, maybe you'll hear it. My dad talked in that bedroom for about two hours, and I had dinner with my uncle, uh, Uncle Simon, later that night. And they said to me, you know, I'm really, really proud of you for you know, making the trip out here. proud's not the right word uh, but it's definitely important for you to be here it was very smart of you to come out and then I said to him smart has nothing to do with it and he nodded and said yeah that's true but you'd be surprised how often people blow things Blow, blow, off, blow off moments like this uh, how often people blow off moments like this and then I shrugged and I said well I was raised to know what's important 
after we started to finish our meals, though, we had some drinks. My uncle was pretty well-traveled, so when I talked about uh, seeing the other side of America and seeing uh, seeing Europe, uh, he was receptive to those stories. He was very worldly. And he was talking about a trip that he went on uh, through England and parts of France. started to talk about older memories and he was uh, talking about what it was like knowing me as a child. And then I said to him, hey, so uh, my dad was referencing uh, this, uh, this music that would come from the woods. gave me a glare and he said uh-huh and I said well he said you'd always say that out here coming from the woods and all that but I didn't know what he was talking about he nodded and he said yeah maybe it's good you don't remember and I asked him well do you know do you know what he was talking about Simon said, yeah, I knew what he was talking about. It was something me and your dad uh, and your other uncle would hear as well. Um, and I said, you mean Uncle Frank? And Simon said, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about Frank. It was, how, it was how Frank disappeared, um, really. Which is never something I was able to I was able to muster to tell your dad about or anything, because he always enjoyed the song. Uh, yeah, three of us would go out. Uh, we'd play in the woods, especially during the summer. And we'd always try to find out where the melody came from deeper and deeper in as you know how the woods around here get so luscious and green during the summer it's like if the color green had a sound and that sound was beautiful a human being can try to write a thousand ballets uh, about it and they still how beautiful this song was. We would always try to look for it. And me and your, me and your dad never, never, never able to find the source of the music. But Frank did. He would talk about it. He would talk about how he met like this fairy in the woods. I was playing the melody uh, on different instruments, sometimes a harp, sometimes a flute, and sometimes singing. 
you know, if you ask me about the melody now, I couldn't tell you what instrument it was on. It just sounded like, you know, like if you have a melody stuck in your head, or if you come up with a melody, you don't quite hear the instrument that it's associated with. You just hear, like, the abstract structure of it, but you know the melody is real. That's what it felt like hearing this song, or these songs. first I thought it was just me, but me and me and my brothers, we just, we could hear it. The three of us. Sometimes we sing along with it. And I thought, well, if, the, if I'm not the only one hearing this, then we should find it and see what it is. And Frank was the only one that, you know, was able to find it. So we talk about this fairy, um, how they hang out in the woods. Oh, you should meet her. She's really cool. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I thought we were we just thought she was just making up stories. Um, but that was until I saw her. You know, your your dad was like a soccer all-star in the state. So already that young, he was already practicing soccer. Our parents thought they had a knack for it and could really, like, take it somewhere professionally. Um, that's not the path that he chose, but he certainly enjoyed the sport and was committed to it. He'd still play it pretty often, um, even while you were away. I'm surprised he didn't live longer because he was so athletic. I guess that's how that goes. Anyway, I'm trailing off. Um, so one one day uh, after school, when your father was in soccer practice, Frank said he was going to meet he was going to meet the fairy uh, out in the woods today, and really implored me uh, to join him because he didn't like that he was the only one that saw her, and he didn't like that anyone else he didn't like that anyone else really didn't believe him. I said, yeah, okay, sure, sure, I'll go join him. So we got into the woods. It was in a deeper part than we were really allowed to go. This was during the time, uh, late in the school year. Everything started to become very green, and spring was popping fresh. So we go and we find this creek, and we hear the song. I was like, okay, there's the song again. And then Frank looks at me and he says, I know where to go. And I said, okay, well, yeah, let's get to it. So I follow him. He doesn't quite go where the song is the loudest. Um, but I trust his, you know, his intuition on this thing, so I just follow him. And 
there's a part of the woods that gets a little bit like mossier. And then, then we saw her. She was just sitting on a rock, playing a small little harp. And had these really grand wings behind her. And I was thinking about something like Tinkerbell, but she was a she was an adult-sized woman, um, maybe a little bit smaller. It's hard to say. Definitely not quite human. Not so unhuman like where it scared me off or anything. Certainly not of this world that I've ever seen uh, in my life at the time. And Frank said her name, but I don't really remember what her name was. Maybe that's how it's supposed to be, you know whatever world she's in, maybe we're not supposed to know what their actual names are. All we can do is guess. Or maybe those names are just not designed for human memory, but who knows, but... He introduced her. And then Frank said, oh, this is Simon. And she said, oh, it's so nice to meet you. I didn't, I didn't know what to make of it at first. Um, I was excited, you know. Never saw, thought I'd meet anyone like this, you know, so. We just spent time in the woods and she would just tell all these stories. Again, these are all stories that maybe people weren't really meant to hear, but I soaked in every moment of it. And even as a kid, you know, I think when I think when you're younger, um, as a child, you have you're more receptive to the ethereal, as it were. And listening at the time, I knew that I couldn't. She was telling us so much that I couldn't really remember every little detail and every little sentence that she said to us. So I put in my effort effort to just enjoy the experience of being told these grand stories and that's something I still take with me you know even though they've kind of withered a bit but they still left an impression on me um, definitely formulated my adult life uh, for the better I would say truthfully you know I mean I'm in my mid 50s right now I don't feel old at all you know Life is still an exciting prospect to me, and not everyone can say that uh, when they spend too much time on this earth. And that's something I see in you, so you, you know, you keep pushing towards that. But anyway, um, but I felt like I was involved with this profound secret that Frank had. started to get dark and we were going to head back to the house and by the end of her visit uh, 
I think Frank said something along the lines of, oh, you should, you know, you should meet her other brother. You should meet Rob. She sighed and she said, yeah, yeah, maybe. I was still so young at the time, but my impression was, you know, I mean, most humans haven't seen any fairies in the woods or anything like that. I doubt at the time that she wanted too much heat on her or anything, you know. One friend would be okay, two maybe, and then it would be like, oh, three's a crowd, and then suddenly the whole town is going to see her, and the whole world maybe, you know. Who knows, at the time I didn't really know her true intentions, but as we got to know her, she certainly, she was someone that really liked secrets. So we decided not to invite your father at first. Our plan was, you know, let her get to know me, and that we're both cool. Oh, if you like us, you should check out her, you know. Our other brother is also really cool as well. So this was kind of our little secret uh, against your father, Rob. And she liked that. Again, she liked secrets. And she didn't want us to tell her parents either about us. She liked that, uh, she thought it was hilarious that her parents, that our parents just thought that we were playing make-believe, you know. She saw some real profound irony in that at the time, which I didn't really understand as a child. And she also loved when we told her secrets. philosophy was, you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter if you had any context for what a secret was, um, or if you can really do with anything, do anything with the information. But a secret itself is very sacred, important, or at the very least entertaining. So often when we'd uh, spend time in the woods together, you know, we'd tell her some of our secrets. And these are all mundane childhood things, but just felt like the entire weight of the world, you know, at the time. You know, just things about, you know, like girls we liked, or sneaking into a room at school, you know. And every time we tell her a secret, she tell us a secret. And again, when she told us her secrets, you know, we didn't have any context for it at all. 
again. She was from another world, some other world. And we didn't really, you know, know what the stakes were in that other place. But whenever she told us a secret, it had some, it always had some real, this dark weight to it. You know, it would be, the way I would describe it, it's like, if you encounter, uh, if you encounter some sort of a drum circle from a very old culture with the kind of rhythm, you know, when the, when human beings um, were first figuring out music, you know, Now when you think of music, it's a lot of it is about entertainment or people seeking art. But when you encounter really old drumming and a lot of chanting that comes with it, it awakens this uh, primordial primordial sense of, you know, of what life is really about, you know. It's kind of how those secrets felt if that makes sense. Even at the time, you know, being a child, not knowing too much, and hearing these secrets and being like, oh, this is very important. But not all the moments that we spent with her were heavy. We just like playing the stream or wander through the woods. Or she'd show us cool trees or cool mushrooms or things that we never really tried to look for. Told us how to find four leaf clo- clovers, things like that. She was like a really cool older sister, you know. That's how I would describe that dynamic. spent the whole, yeah, spent most of that summer with her. And your father was feeling a little bit, uh, he felt pretty excluded. Um, I wouldn't say it damaged my relationship with him, uh, not too severely. But he certainly felt left out, um, isolated. He started to get more into soccer and play even more. Me and Frank would, you know, go back to the woods and hang out with the fairy. And there was this one moment where I watched Uncle Simon kind of choke up. I had a feeling where the story was going to lead, so I put his hand on his shoulder from across the table. said, uh, yeah. thank you, dear. So the summer was winding down, and it was our first, our first week of school, um, the week of Labor Day. 
It was so surreal to be in this, to operate in this system seemingly designed by humans, the system, like the system of public school, you know, after you spend an entire sum summer in this profound other world kind of sphere. I actually started, felt, it made me feel really frustrated and confined. So I shouted at one of the teachers. I don't even remember what it was about. We were just having an argument. Something about number two pencils or not having the right folder or why do you need the right folder. It was absurd and childish and petty. But also that teacher was really mean, so it wasn't a one-sided thing. I'm still getting heated up about it, even though it's been like 50-ish years later at this point. But I ended up getting a detention. We were still, me and Frank were still hanging out with the ferry out in the woods. And the day that I had detention was the day they were supposed to hang out with the ferry. And Frank was really bummed out. He's like, oh, come on. He was as scared as I was that perhaps, you know, going to school getting older, entering the seemingly slow threshold of becoming an adult, would tear us away from, tear us away from whatever we had access to, whether it was a piece of the other world or just this friendship with this fairy. You know, we didn't want to lose that. Maybe that's every child's fear, but who knows? I said, oh, it's only going to be like 30 minutes. You know, I'll, I'll meet up with you afterwards. And he said, okay. All right. But when that day came, it was, uh, it was getting a little bit it was cloudy out. Definitely a thick overcast and a lot of drizzling was happening. Usually on other times when we've, you know, we've seen the ferry, you know, it's been very sunny and very green, as the way the Vermont woods are. So I was worried that, you know, this overcast or this rain would somehow prevent access to, you know, access for her to our world, or, or if it would just be a sluggish rainy day when you try to play outside, you know, it was getting colder out too, it was only a matter of time before the big snowstorms would come, but I served my time and attention from that debacle about some pencil or folder. I don't even remember. I'm still pissed about it. For more reasons than one, but... But when detention was out, I made it back uh, to my house and dropped off my stuff. And I saw your father. He was like, what are you doing? 
And I said, oh, I'm just gonna, gonna hang out with Frank. And so he went out and went to the woods without you. And I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm supposed to meet with him. And he's like, well, can I come? And I was like, um, no, it's a, it's a secret. And then your father said, well, I'm tired of all your secrets or whatever, you know? I want to hang out and play too, you know? What are you doing that's so cool? I want to see some stuff. I'm tired of just, like, being alone in the woods and poking a leaf with a stick or something. Come on. And I said, all right, well, I'll invite you this one time, but you can't tell anyone what you see. said, all right, I promise. So we start going out to the woods. It's still really cloudy out. It starts to drizzle a little bit. And then Rob asks, like, oh, you, uh, we're not really supposed to go out this far. You sure you know where we're going? And I said, yeah, yeah, we, me and Frank would go out here all the time. And he said, oh, it's no wonder I never saw you then. So we started to walk for a while. Um, I, we ventured to various spots where we'd hang out with the fairy. Said, are you sure you know where you're going? And I said, yes, yes, I do. Um, just listen for the song. That usually helps. He was like, do you know where the song comes from? And he said, and I said, uh, yeah, I do. That's where we're going. And he was just like, you knew this whole time? You didn't tell me? Dude, I was the one that told you about the song. And I said, well, you know, we're all going to see it together. So it's going to be... You'll, it'll make more sense once we get there. And the rain started to get heavier. And it started to get darker. I was getting afraid. Because I was worried, like, oh, great, now the fairy and Frank are going, having this great adventure without us since I was late. Now they don't want to hang out with me. That's what I was thinking at the time. And Rob said, where are we going? What are you doing? And I said, we're going to find Frank. We're going to find him. And they said, do you even know where he is? I said, no, I don't. I don't know where he is. But we're going to find him. started to get darker. It's practically night at this point. We're both soaking wet. 
They said we, and you know, your father said we got to get out of here because we're not going to make it back. Alright, fine, fine. We'll get flashlights and we'll keep looking for him. But it's so dark that it gets harder to find our way back. We're all alone in the pitch black night at this point. It's pouring down rain. And we're lost in the woods. And I was still young at the time. I've never been this lost before. Having no idea where to go, no idea where Frank is, I just fall to the ground and cry. That's the only thing I could think of doing at that point. Soaking wet, rain pouring on me, tears blending with the raindrops and then Rob your father because this is the kind of person that he was this is the kind of person he still is and will be until he dies he just pulls me up he says Simon we gotta get going and I cry and I just say there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to go. He just said, we gotta keep moving. Come on. We can cry later when we get to the house, but we're now we gotta go somewhere dry. We gotta keep moving. I don't know how many hours we were at night, but by some profound stroke of luck, uh, we make it to a more familiar hiking trail and then make it back to our house. When I was told about the story later, it was almost midnight at this point. Our mother, your grandmother, you know, she's like really angry, but also crying and happy to see us, you know. The weird fixture of a parent when they're really pissed at you, but really glad you're alive, you know. That was the kind of shouting and tears she was communicating to us. At first she said, where the hell were you? And I start sobbing, because I was just like, okay, we're at the house, I can cry now. Rob just looked disturbed in general, you know, feeling really quiet, you know. Crying a little bit, but trying to hold it back, you know, trying to be the stronger brother, trying to keep his chin up. And then my mother said, no, well, where's, where's Frank? Where's Frank? And then I just cry out, I don't know.
that's that's how um that's how your uncle Frank disappeared. You know, we'd send out search parties for those next weeks. It was a big spectacle for the town and the region. We even made a national headline for five seconds. He was on all the milk cartons, but we never found him because I know where he is. The ferry took him, obviously. And, you know, when I realized what happened, you know, I always, I almost made myself a vow to, you know, if I ever find that ferry, I'll kill her, catch her, whatever. I was growing up at the time and I was becoming stronger, you know. But at the same time, I also don't know what she did to him. So I don't know. I didn't want her to do that to me either. Yeah, but if I ever did see her again, I would go after her. Even if it wasn't a smart thing in that moment. Just my impulse of her, you know, my guttural reaction of her taking my brother away. You know, that's how I would respond. And it was only a couple years later um, when I would hear the song in the woods again, those melodies. I guess she thought that, oh, it only takes a couple of years to forget about a child being snatched and the perfect opportunity to snatch another one. That was my take on it anyway. how callous she really was. But I never told your father this. So as we got older, the song became more and more faint, but he would always say, like, oh, the song's playing again. You want to follow it? And I said, no, do not follow the song. You know, and I never told him about Frank about that summer partially because of shame um, because I never knew what um, I felt responsible for Frank I was the older one I should have protected him and I didn't I failed at that I don't know I guess he wouldn't care he would just he would just want to know what would happen um doesn't have that much time left and I want to tell him but I don't know how much time that is like I really just want to put it off for the last minute but I feel like that won't that won't I, I might I have to tell him but I don't know but yeah so that's the song he's referring to and I was terrified when he said that you heard it too I figured that the fairy would try to take you also. It's part of the reason, uh, besides loving you and your father and wanting to spend time with you, that's one of the reasons why I was, I was around so often during the summers. You know? I didn't want you to make the same mistake I did. Or suffer the same fate that Frank did. 
Uncle Simon sighed. Decaf coffee I was drinking was cold. I didn't quite know how to what to make of this story. It's definitely one of those things that you're told. Uh, it definitely puts life in check for a bit. And those types of experiences are important. <clears throat> so I look at Uncle Simon at the eye in the eye, and I just tell and I just say, "You have to tell him." seen me for the first time, but also saw me for who I always was. It was a... It was a look of uncertainty, but also supreme familiarity. And he said, I know. I know I do. And I said, Simon, you have to tell him. Right now, Yesterday, 50 years ago, you've got to tell him. Uncle Simon groaned and said, yeah, I know. I'll tell him tomorrow. Um, he's probably sleeping, resting now. When we visit him tomorrow, uh, I'll tell him. Can you be in the room? You don't have to say anything, but just you being there. I would need that. He'd probably need that too. And I said, yes, yes, of course. But you have to tell him. He let out a sigh of relief, and he said, yeah, so... Get a drink somewhere. I said, "Yeah, I think that's I think that's appropriate." Jesus, that's a lot. And he's like, "Yeah, I've been carrying that for half a century." Like, goddamn. And I said, "Well, you're gonna you're gonna let it loose tomorrow, so we can sell, we can drink to that at least." to the bar uh, just across the street um, had some drinks there was an open mic night at the bar uh, where some people were playing music uh, some people out of town were trying out stand up material it was a pretty strong open mic which is uh, certainly a lot for an open mic just sitting at the bar watching the watching the acts and talking about more frivolous things or things that felt frivolous based on the compared to the story that he told me
But as we're sitting talking, you know, having a genuinely fun time, I'm just sitting there trying to think, why don't I remember the song? It's still so vivid to, to Uncle Simon. Dad still talks about it. But I don't even remember, I don't remember it at all. in town visiting my father and he said oh so what's what's next for you Brianna and I said I have I have no idea dude you know I'm just trying to figure things out he said, ah, oh, still, you got a handle on everything, you know. Just buy a house. Your generation needs it. And I said, well, I'll do that eventually. I just got to, you know, I got some more traveling to do, and then I'll, then I'll find something, you know. I'll find something along the way, I'm sure. And Uncle Simon said, who was clearly drunk, and he said, yeah, that's, that's how a lot of people do it. I tuck him in, kind of, and I'm just like, "All right, do you need a, do you need any water, um, a pot to vomit in?" And I said, "No, no, I haven't, I haven't vomited since I stopped smoking. Like, I really, I have an iron stomach at this point." And I said, "Okay, well, good night." And he said, good night, dear. So I try to go to bed. Still really buzzed. The room's kind of spinning. I'm thinking about Europe. Thinking about what I want to do next. Thinking about my father. Thinking about Uncle Simon's story. Thinking about the performances and being moved by art in general. All these thoughts are darting back and forth in my head. And I try to fall asleep, but I'm so wound up that it's hard to. Then I hear music. It's a soft sound. Something I've never quite heard before, but seems so visceral and primordial. I thought there was like this song stuck in my head, but it just kept going. It was really piercing in my ear. 
but also felt muscle muffled from the window. I thought I was just hearing things, you know. Me and Simon shared a joint outside the bar, so I thought it was just that. And I shot up and I thought, oh my god, it's a song. I opened my window, and the song's louder. I said, son of a bitch. Simon's room and I try to wake him up. He's like, Simon, Uncle Simon, wake up. Wake up, Simon. He nudge, he groans and nudges and he just talks about, I told you I tried to ask J.D. Salinger about catching it, catch her in the rye and he didn't want to talk about it. What do you want me to do? He had some weird regional celebrity dream and I didn't want to, he didn't seem like he was waking up. He was out cold. He was really pretty wasted and Honestly, so was I. I thought, am I too drunk and high to follow this, these woods? And go, go to the sound. Again, I still thought I was hearing things at the time, but I was like, no, fuck it, just go. Go find her. step out on the back porch and the song's even louder it's so smooth and serene and gentle I go through Simon's house try to find a shotgun or something I couldn't find one I thought oh, it's you know it's it's Vermont so it's so weird that he doesn't have a gun so then I find an axe and I bring that out stepped out I have an axe I have a flashlight and I step out into the woods song as I walk through the trees. It gets louder in some places and quieter in others. Again, it the entire thing still feels like it feels like it's coming from my own head, but I know it's real. So I just shout, hey, hey, come out here. Hey. 
axe armed. I don't want to wander out too far. Because I don't know these woods as well as I, as I used to. And I don't want to get lost and exhausted and just pass out in the trees somewhere. So inebriated, I was surprised by how well I kept my place of location wandering through these woods. Maybe about 20 minutes go by, and I just think, okay, 10 more minutes, and then you turn back. The sound was getting louder, and I wasn't, fo and I wasn't following how loud the sound was. But I was following how the sound, how the sound made me feel. Whatever direction moved me more was what I was, what I went towards, which I was drunk and high, so that was an easier place to access. Right at the moment when I feel like I want to put in the towel and just want to quit and turn around, I see her. She was a lot how my uncle described her. Human, but not quite human. Her skin was pale. She had a beautiful dress. A little bit small. She was very alien-like, and I shined the flashlight on her, and her eyes were dark. She put up her hand to cover the glare. She was playing a harp and stopped playing that. flashlight out of her face. She slowly lowered her hand and I took a good long look at her. It was something that penetrated my state of inebriation. And I thought, oh, this impression is going to stick for a while. she said in a soft voice you know for everyone else I would just run away but you seem different I looked at her the flashlight pointed to the ground but still her shoes illuminated I kept a close eye on her the axe tightly 
And then she said it again. Now normally I would just run away, but you seem different. I don't know why she said it a second time. Or did she say it a first time? The entire experience was dreamlike. So I just gripped the axe and I said, I want my uncle back. She laughed. Very nymph-like. I gripped the axe again. And I said more firmly, I want my uncle back. I tried to say it in a tone. penetrate what other otherworldliness otherworldliness that she uh, shrouded herself with and then she said oh he didn't go anywhere he's right here I said where her hands to gesture around the woods and she said he's right here and she smiled and I didn't realize how, how, how sharp her teeth was it looked like something from a great white, great white shark or something Grab the axe with both hands. And I said it for what I told myself would be the last time. I want my uncle back now. She laughed again. And I lost and I lunged at her, holding the axe. And then the flashlight went out. And then when I went for her, I swept at air. I kept swinging the axe and not hitting anything. Could have sworn I was right next to her. So I stood in, the woods, stood in the woods alone in the dark, and I thought, oh, fuck, fuck. I grabbed a flashlight, and I picked it up and tried to get it to work. batteries were all exploded and the battery acid that was dried up was just getting all over me. I was like, oh shit, shit. I 
Luckily, there's enough moonlight up in the sky so I can maneuver around the woods. It didn't take long for my eyes to adjust. It took longer than the amount of time I got there, but I still managed to find my way back to Simon's house. So go, I go to the back porch and I try to open the door. And I just think, oh fuck, did I, did I lock the door on the way out? thought about knocking, but I knew Simon was out cold and he wouldn't wake up. So I go to a window, and that was unlocked. So I open it and I crawl through. But it was in the kitchen over the sink. And I tried so hard to be stealthy about it, but I knocked over some dish soap and a pot, and I fell on the floor. As penetrating as that experience with the fairy was, I was still inebriated. I just sighed, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Landed right on my knee. The kitchen light turns on and it stings my eyes. And I see Simon. And he looks mortified. Apparently he got up long enough to get changed to his pajamas. He said, what the hell are you doing? And I said, um... Sorry, sorry, I was, I was just out for, a, out for a walk, I'm sorry. And he said, no, I mean, where have you been? And I said, I was out, I was out in the woods going for, a, going for a walk. And he said, it's been six weeks and you haven't even called or anything. And I said, what do you mean it's been, what do you mean it's been six weeks? Six weeks since when? said you go we go you go away for six weeks and you haven't called or anything and now you're coming back here sneaking through the window I said six no it hasn't it's no it's been like an, like two hours no and Simon asked again where have you been I said, no, we, no, we went out drinking. You told me that story. And then I went for a walk and I came back. And he said, that was six weeks ago. I said, wait, no, no, it has not. It has not been six weeks. No, no, how's no? And he said, yeah, it's a month later. 
He pulled out his phone and he showed it to me and it showed the date, showing six weeks later. I said, no, but how's, how's dad though? How is he? And Simon just said, he's gone. He passed on four weeks ago. God. I started to tear up and I said, oh my God. Simon was hitting that, uh, that nexus of being extremely pissed off, but being extremely thankful that she was alive. And that's where a lot of his emotions came from. Where the hell have you been? And then I said, well, did you, but wait, did you, did you end up telling, did you end up telling my dad about the story with Frank and the ferry? Simon started to tear up. He said, hey, I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't do it. You said you'd be there and you weren't and I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own. I just couldn't. I sat up when I was just sitting on the floor. I felt so pathetic and defeated. And I said, I followed the song. I heard it when I was trying to fall asleep and I followed the song. I saw her. I tried to attack her and I couldn't. It's six weeks later. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. And I started to cry. and we held each other on the kitchen floor for a long time. And then once it was getting closer, like 4 a.m., um, he made me coffee and we just started talking. My dad's uh, last few weeks, and how nobody thought that I'd abandoned anyone, but that something happened to me, and, and it did. But my father took it very hard, and then he died pretty quickly. And then the funeral happened, and that was a good event, as good as funerals can be. until the sun rises. And Simon drives me to the, uh, to the uh, cemetery where my father was buried. 
gonna go see him. Simon sex steps back and lets me have a moment with him. It's a beautiful headstone. It was kind of an overcast day out, getting a little bit colder. Still cold from the night before. I stare at the headstone, you know, trying to feel some solace uh, by visiting where his body was buried. Since Simon assured me that everyone thought that something happened to me rather than me leaving, I knew that my dad would understand. And maybe he would be okay with it. But I knew it would take a long time, if ever, for me to be okay with it. That was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. And good night.